We are in this series that we've titled, Thank You, Next. Thank You, Next. And I've seriously enjoyed this series a lot. We're in part three of a four-part series. And if you missed out on it in part one or part two, I would encourage you to go back and catch up on our podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can literally just go to the podcast app and type in the living room Buckhead Church and it should come up. But just to catch you up with where we've been really quick in case you missed out or just to refresh your memory, in part one of this series, we talked about how it's more important to focus on becoming the right person rather than finding the right person. And we put a really big challenge on the table for all of us and it was this, focus on you more than who? Focus on you more than who? Become the right person, become the person the person you're looking for would be looking for. And then last week in part two of this series, Beth did an incredible job. I thought she did so good. She did a great job talking about the topic of singleness. And I love what Beth said when she said that, what if we began to view singleness as a season to embrace rather than just one to escape? And tonight in part three, we get to talk about a topic that I think you are talking about, you are hearing about constantly. I think it's a topic that you hear about all the time on TV shows that you watch. You hear about it all the time in movies that you've seen and music that you listen to. You see it being promoted and talked about all the time on social media, on the internet, and in advertisements and commercials. Really, I would go as far as to say this. In some form or fashion, every single day of your life, maybe not every single day, but 98% of the days of your life, you either hear about this topic, talk about this topic, are being promoted or marketed about this topic in some form or fashion every single day of your life. And the topic we're talking about tonight, if you couldn't guess, is, is, is sex. Sex, yeah. And I see your facial expressions. Like, some of you are like bumping your neighbor. You're like, bro, why'd you bring me tonight? Like, come on, man. Like, you knew we were going to be talking about this. You're like, no, I didn't. I didn't know, you know. They didn't tell me. And you're kind of awkwardly laughing because you're not really sure, like, is he being serious? Is this a joke? Some of you are feeling like, is this all right? Like, is it okay to talk about sex? That's like, a, is it okay to even say the word sex? You know, I don't know. Like, maybe you just need to get it out and say it one time. That's, that's weird. Don't say that. Um, but <laughs> like, you're feeling like that. A lot of you, right? I can see it on your faces and, and I get it. I get why you're feeling that tension. I get why you're like, I don't know, is this okay? I get why some of you are like tensing up and you're like, Gary, this is gonna be a long next 27 minutes and 18 seconds. And it's because a lot of you grew up in, in a family or you grew up in an environment, in a community, or maybe you even grew up in a church where they really just said kind of one main thing, one main rule when it comes to sex that they repeated over and over and over again. And it was this right here, don't do it. Do not do it. Like, whatever you do, just stay away, avoid it, make sure it doesn't come into your life. Like, just don't do it. It's bad, it's gross, it's disgusting. Save it for your spouse, you know, which is weird in and of itself. Like, but you're like, oh, yeah, just don't do it. You know, stay away from it. It kind of felt like a just say no to drugs campaign almost. Um, like, did anyone do D.A.R.E. growing up in school? Any? Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, D.A.R.E. Is, 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 I forget what it's, it stands for, but drug and alcohol, it like, tells you not to do it and stay away from it. Anybody, while we're on topic, you know the theme song of D.A.R.E.? Anybody? A couple of you know it. A lot of you don't. I'm surprised because that was the best part. This is the only reason I really enjoyed D.A.R.E. I'm just, can I teach you the theme song real quick? Is that cool? Okay. Yeah, so it goes something like this, D. I won't do drugs. A won't have an attitude. R I will respect myself. A E I will educate me now. Oh, yeah, I added that. I added that part on. That's the that's the new updated version. Oh, um, makes it a little bit better. But, 
But in all seriousness, like, that's how it feels a lot of times. Like, when it comes to sex, that's been your experience. So it's no wonder that when I say, hey, tonight we're talking about sex, some of you are like, ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool, Pastor. I love it. I'm excited. But can I just tell you tonight, from the very top, I feel like I need to make this clear right from the start. Sex is not bad. Sex is not bad. Now, hear me out on this. Like, don't leave early. Don't get up and walk out right now. Some of you are going to, like, be like, oh, what they talk about tonight? Buckhead Church Loom, sex is not bad. We're good, you know? Um, I, I, I got more to say. I got more to say. Let me unpack that a little bit. Sex is not bad, and here's why. Sex was God's idea. Like, God invented sex. I don't know if you know this or not, but sex didn't just, like, it wasn't like a, someone wrote a song about it, and it was like, oh, yeah, cool, let's, let's start doing that. Like, no, that's not how it worked. Like, sex didn't just come up one day. It's not just something that our culture invented. No, God invented sex. This was his idea from the very beginning. In fact, check this out. And then the very first two people that ever walked on this earth, Adam and Eve, Look at what God says to this in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Check out what God says to Adam and Eve. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So this is not like an agricultural statement here. Okay, this is not God saying, hey, like, you see all this land, I want you to be fruitful and like grow the crops and fill it. And sub-. No, 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 that's not what God's saying. God's saying, look, Adam and Eve, like, okay, I- I've designed this, I've made this, like, you get it, okay, I, I like, Make it happen, you know, go and fill the earth, subdue it, and multiply it. But the problem is, we as a church, not Buckhead Church, I'm saying the church as a whole, have not done the best job of opening up the door for conversations around this topic. Like for many of you, maybe you grew up in a church where like you had some questions and you had some things that you wanted to talk about. And maybe you went to like one of your leaders and you were like, hey, can I can I talk to you? And they're like, yeah, for sure. Like, I want you to be open and honest. And you're like, okay, well, this is my question, and you gave it to them, and they're like, I don't really want to talk about that, and they kind of stiff arm you, and they're like, why don't you just go home and talk about that tonight at the dinner table, like, ask your family about that, and so some of you did, like, you took them up on it, and you went home, and at the dinner table that night, like, you brought it up to mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle, whoever it was, your siblings, and then what did that lead to? That led to a really awkward three to five minute conversation that a lot of times gets referred to as the birds and the bees, which I still have no clue why it's called that. Some of you had that conversation, some of you didn't, but like, it's where they sit you down, whoever it was for you, and they kind of go through of like, hey, this is how it works, this is what it is, and they probably sum it up with like, save it till marriage, don't do it, you know, that's all you need to know. And from that point forward, that's pretty much all you heard about. That's, that's, that's where you got your information, other than what you gathered from your friends, or from music, or movies, or TV shows that you watched, it was just kind of like, don't do it. And I don't really know why. And so it's no surprise, it shouldn't be a surprise, that because of that, that's not a very convincing or compelling argument. It's no surprise that many of you think and believe what you think and believe. Like, I'm not ignorant. I I know who I'm speaking to tonight. I know that there's a lot of different viewpoints and opinions and experiences in the room tonight. Like, some of you are coming in tonight with the firm belief that, you know, like, waiting to have sex until marriage is completely unrealistic, man. Like, it just is. Like, I, I, don't, it's, I don't think it's even possible. If it is, I don't, I don't really know how, you know? Like, it's outdated. Like, maybe you're like, it, it might have worked for my parents or grandparents when they were growing up, but today, it's, it's 2019. Like, this is an outdated way 
of thinking. It just, it doesn't work out. Maybe you're thinking like, it doesn't really make sense. Like, I don't understand why, again, you haven't really been given, you know, very good reasons for why you would wait or for why, like, this should be sacred or anything like that. And you're just like, I, I don't, it really doesn't make sense. Maybe you're like, you know what? It's, it's too late. Like, it's, it's just too late. I've already crossed that line multiple times or maybe just once. So I don't really know what to do now. Like, I guess I'm disqualified from this conversation tonight. You're not. Or maybe you're just thinking, why? Like, why? I just don't even understand. Like, why are we even talking about this tonight? And can I just tell you why? I believe it's so important for us to have this conversation, to open up the door for the future conversations around this topic tonight. Because if we don't talk about this, the world will. In fact, the world has been and is and will continue to talk about this topic a lot, like I said at the very beginning. And I just believe that there's no reason we should be silent about something that God spoke into existence. In fact, I think that we cannot allow the world to define what God has designed. And and for too long, the church has just kind of said like, oh, like maybe we'll touch on that like just once a year, but we won't really say much. We won't go that deep. We won't really be real. We'll just kind of be like, yeah, you know, say a few things. And if people ask questions, like, you know, we'll kind of redirect them and that'll be that. And what we've done is we've just kind of taken away our microphone and and like the truth that we have, and we've just let the world speak into it. And so we've allowed world, the world, we've allowed culture to define what God has designed, what God created. Again, this was God's idea. Sex was God's plan. I met my, my wife, Anne, um, back in 2010, so nine years ago, which is crazy. It's almost been a decade. And when we first met, uh, Anne reached out to me on Facebook, okay? And I always like to say, like, Anne, that was so creepy. Like, you stalked me on Facebook and sent me a message. Like, who does that, you know? And she's like, no, 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 that's not how it worked, Matt. Like, her side of the story, because she's not up here to give her side of the story, so I'll at least let you know what her side of the story is. She would say that, you know, we were going to do this internship, this summer internship together, and, like, I reached out to, like, a few different people that were all going to do the, that were doing that internship. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a lie, but whatever. Um, (laughs) And so she reached out to me on Facebook and, and just said, like, hey, like, you know, I'm praying for you. And, like, let me know if, you know, if you have any questions about the summer. So I was like, sure. And so I responded back. And I'm like, I don't have any questions, but would love to get to know you, you know. And so um, we then started having, it wasn't, like, weird. That sounded really weird. So we started, <laughs> we started having some, some conversations on Facebook. Okay, again, 2010, like, Facebook Instant Messenger. This was kind of the thing. And so that's what we did. And then after a few conversations on there, I got our number. We started texting. And then we started having conversations on Skype. Anybody, you know what Skype is? Like old school FaceTime, right? Okay, like I'm showing my age. I promise I'm not that old. I'm only 27. But, um, but we were having Skype conversations. And, and sometimes these conversations would go for like two, three, four, seven hours. Um, she still says to this day, like the only reason she got her first ever C uh, in college, I think she got all A's and then a C when she started dating me because she had an 8 a.m. course. And she's like, you ruined me. Like you, you did that. Thank you. Um, and so anyways, we started having these conversations and about six or seven months into our relationship, which was really just a friendship there was no label, I knew that it was time to have what I call a DTR, to find the relationship talk. And so I called Ann up and I was like, hey, listen, like we've been talking, getting to know each other for the past six or seven months. And like, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed building a friendship with you and like getting to know you. But I just need to let you know that like, I would love to keep this going. I would love to keep building a friendship and a relationship, but I just need to know like how you feel. And it's cool if you don't feel this way, but if you don't feel this way, then like, 
We probably don't need to text and talk every single day because I don't text and talk to my friends, especially friends that are girls, every single day. And so she kind of like, there was a pause for a second, and then she's like, I'm not really interested. I'm kidding. That's not what she said. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's not what she said. She, she did pause for a second, and I like had a mild heart attack, and then she's like, yeah, I would love to. And I'm like, okay, great. And the rest was history, and we got married. We've been married six years now. It's awesome. And so anyways... Thank you, thank you. The reason I share that with you and the reason I thought that that conversation was so important to have when we had the conversation was because before we could talk about where we thought we could or should be down the road, before we talked about like where we want it to go, we had to first stop and talk about where we were. And I think the same is true as it pertains to this conversation here tonight. Before we talk about where we could or should be down the road in the future, before we talk about where we possibly want to go when it relates to this area of our lives and our sexual ethic, ultimately, we first have to talk about where we are. And I understand that that's somewhat challenging to do tonight in a room this size because there's a lot of people in here and you all have different experiences, different viewpoints, different perspectives, like different just you know, circumstances, all of that. I get that. But I think there's one thing that we all have in common. Since we all live in the United States of America, I think this is true of every single person in the room, and it's this right here. We live in a hyper-sexualized culture that is distorting our view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite. Because we live in the United States of America, we are living, whether you know it or not, in a hyper-sexualized culture that is distorting your view, my view of sex and feeding our sexual appetite. And do you know what I think is the main things that's pouring into this, the main things that's promoting this hypersexualized culture that we're living in? I think it's two things, lust and pornography. Lust and pornography. Let me start with pornography. I just want to give you a few statistics on this that might be a little bit eye-opening, a little bit surprising to you. They for sure were to me when I found these um, over the past week as I was doing some research. So check out this first one. Did you know this? Porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Next one. Check this out. 35%, 35% of all internet downloads, that's a lot of downloads, are porn related. We keep going. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, that's, that's, that's football, NBA, that's basketball, and MLB, that's baseball, combined. So the porn industry every single year brings in more money than the NFL, NBA, and MLB brings in combined. Next statistic, 11. 11 is the average age a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will have viewed porn by the age of 14. That's the time they start high school. The time, by the time they're a freshman, 94% of children will have viewed porn. And the final statistic is this. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. So hold on. Hold on. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think that the narrative for quite some time has been that, that, that pornography is, is a male issue. That, that, that guys struggle with pornography and, and women, females, it's not really a thing for them. 
And that's been the narrative for a while. Maybe you've heard some talks before on that. Maybe you've, you know, received that. And I think what it's done is for the women that do struggle with pornography, it's made you feel like a huge sense of shame and guilt and almost embarrassment of like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't be struggling with this. No girls struggle with this. Why am I struggling with this? But this statistic right here shows that 33% of women, one out of every three women age 25 and under, that's your age bracket, search for porn at least once a month. So this is not just a male issue. Pornography is a male and female issue. We're, we're all in the game. It's something that males and females struggle with. And I think one of the main things that leads to us struggling with porn and us having this desire to be, view porn that can easily turn into an addiction is lust. And see, lust is when you take a God-given desire and you add selfishness into it. See, so God has given all of us some sexual desires that are not bad. But when we take sexual desires that God has given us and we add selfishness into the equation, that's when lust creeps in. And when lust creeps in, that's when you begin to develop a consumer mentality when it comes to sex. And it's all about what you want. It's all about what you need. It's all about what you're feeling in the moment. And if it's not working out for you, then it's like, thank you, next. You just move on. And the reason I bring this up, lust and pornography, is because, again, lust and pornography is fueling our hypersexualized culture. And our hypersexualized culture is fueling us to have some unhealthy thoughts when it relates to sex. And these unhealthy thoughts are, are pouring over into the way that we view relationships. And the way that we view relationships is pouring over into the way we, we, we date. And the way that we date is having an impact on our marriages, which as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the current statistic for marriage rates in our country is 50% of marriages end in divorce. So it's all connected. It's a really big deal. It's really important that we talk about this tonight, but it's important that you know that tonight is not another just say no to sex message. That's not what this is. I don't think that's beneficial. I don't think that's going to be helpful for you guys tonight if I just get up here and I say, you know what? Just say no. Just say no to sex. You, you've heard that. You've heard that said before. It's not going to do you any good for me to repeat it one more time and be like, hey, just say no. Wait till marriage. It's sacred. That's not, that's, that's not my, my goal or my intent here tonight. Tonight, in fact, over the next few minutes, I want to take a look at what the Apostle Paul says relating to sex. And over the past couple of weeks, we've taking a look at some of Paul's teachings and writings, and he has a lot to say when it comes to love and relationships and the topic of sex. And he's talking to the people who are living in the town of Corinth. And the Corinthian people were also living in a pretty hyper-sexualized culture, a culture similar to what we're living in today. And so this is what Paul says to the people living in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Do you know what that word flee means? The word flee means to, you know, it means to run. It means to run in the opposite direction, to run away from potential harm or damage in your life. And so Paul's saying, hey, I want you to flee from sexual immorality. And you know why? You know why he says this? Because sexual, sexual immorality or sexual impurity, it's another word for it, it never travels alone. And, and you know this to be true. Like when you've gone down a path of sexual impurity, you know what follows right behind is the need to feel like you've got to lie to cover things up. 
because you don't want anyone to know what you're really doing at, at midnight when you go to bed and you're in your room by yourself. Like, you don't want people to know. So you got to lie to cover it up. And you feel like you got to start deceiving people and being like, no, no, I'm good. Like, everything's fine. You know what else follows right along with it is, is doubt. You, you start to doubt yourself. You start to doubt your, your self-esteem and your confidence. And you think, man, what's, what's wrong with me? Like, why am, I, why am I feeling this way? Like, why am I making these decisions? Why do I keep doing this? I don't want to keep doing this. You start to doubt yourself. You start to worry about a lot of things. Like every single day you wake up and you just feel overwhelmed with worry and that worry can sometimes turn into depression and anxiety and all those types of things. You start to have uncontrollable fear. Where you're going down this path and then you start to fear like, oh, what if people find out? Like you fear embarrassment, you fear guilt, you fear shame, you you fear people ever really discovering the real you. So Paul goes on and Verse 19, he says, flee from sexual immorality. And look what he says next. He says, all other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So Paul is not saying that sexual sin is like a higher sin or it's, it's, it's worse than other sins. But he is saying that sexual sin is kind of in its own category. Because sexual sin has the potential for great damage in your life. He says, because all other sins are sins outside of your body, but sexual sin is different. Sexual sin is you sinning against your own body. So you're hurting yourself, but you're also hurting another person. And then he goes on, look what he says next. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Paul says, you know why sexual sin feels the way that it does? You know why sexual sin, like, you feel it down in your core when you're, you know, living a sexually immoral life? You feel it. Like, you, it's just it's that feeling that you, you can't even really describe. He says, you know why that is? Because this right here, you're not your own. You've been bought at a price. You've been called to honor God with your bodies. See, but culture does not want us to believe this. Like, culture wants to convince us. And culture, honestly, has done a pretty good job of convincing us in a lot of ways that this isn't true, that no, 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 like sex, is, it's not that big of a deal. It's just like a physical thing. It's just another thing that you do in your everyday life. It's just like going to the gym and working out. It's just something that you do. It's just going to the grocery. It's no big deal. Sex is, is just physical. And if this is true, then everything Paul just said in, in the verses we just read is, is like pretty exaggerated. You're like, whoa, Paul, like take a, take a chill, man. Like it's not that big of a deal if, if that's true what culture wants us to believe. But come on. I just believe that all of us at our core know that sex is more than just physical. Sex is not just physical. See, let's just play this out for a second. Like, let's just say that sex is just physical. It's just another thing that you do. It's just like working out or, you know, or going to the grocery store, just an everyday activity in life, just something that you do. It's just a physical act. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just play that out then why is it that there's something known as the walk of shame? Like, like, why is it that the morning after you wake up from having sexual intercourse with somebody, that next morning when you walk to your car, back to your apartment, wherever you're headed to class, why is that known as the walk of shame? If it's just physical. Like, why isn't it when you wake up in the morning on just any random day and you're leaving your own apartment and you walk to Starbucks to get your latte, like, why isn't that known as the walk of shame? If sex is just physical and a normal everyday activity. 
If sex is just physical, then why is it that even if you're not holding to the belief that you're going to reserve sex for marriage, for that person that you marry, your potential spouse one day, why is it that the majority of you would say you at least want to wait for like the person that you really love or someone you really care about or someone that you're in a deeply strong, connected relationship with? Like why? Why? Why do you want to wait for that special someone if sex is, is just physical? If sex is just physical, then why is it that for so many of you, when you think about your greatest regret in life, it's connected to something sexual? And if sex is just physical, and this is kind of sensitive and, and tough, but if sex is just physical, then why is it that it's so much more difficult for someone who's been the victim of a rape than someone who's just been the victim of some physical abuse and they were pushed down one day. If sex is just a physical thing, then none of that really makes sense. See, but we know at our core, it's more than that. Sex is not just physical. In fact, sex is is three-dimensional. It's the way God designed it to be. Like, yes, sex is is physical. That's, That's a part of it. Like sex involves your your body, it is a physical um, thing, but but that's just a part of it. Sex is also emotional. Like sex involves your your mind, it involves your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions. Sex is physical, it's emotional, but it's also spiritual. Like sex involves your your heart, it involves your soul. Sex is, is, is God's design for two people to become one. Like you were designed to be one with one. Sex is you... And the best way that you can, fully giving yourself to someone in a covenant relationship, saying, I am fully yours. See, sex is is three-dimensional. It's physical, emotional, and spiritual. It'd be like this. It'd be like if you were going to go to the Atlanta Hawks game tomorrow night. I don't know if they're playing tomorrow night. But it'd be like if you were going to the Hawks game, and they're like, someone said, hey, I'm going to give you courtside seats, which if you have the hookup, just let me know. It's my dream one day. Um, but it'd be like if you had courtside seats and someone said, hey, like, here's your seat. They showed you your seat and you went and sat down. And then immediately they said, hey, um, we want you to wear these like noise canceling headphones for the entire game. You're not going to be able to hear a thing. And you're like, okay, or whatever. Like, that's fine. You know, it's a silent disco. And they're like, no, no, it's not. You just won't be able to hear. It. And you're like, okay. So you put those on. And then they're like, hey, here's also a blindfold. You're not going to be able to see anything. So you aren't going to be able to see and hear, but you're going you're gonna to be here. Like you're, you're courtside, like your feet are on the court. You would be pretty frustrated. Like you'd be like, what? This is- yeah, physically I'm here, but I'm missing out on, on something so much greater for me to experience. Like, I can't see anything. I can't hear anything. Like, like this is not what, what I came for. And if you minimize sex to just being a physical thing, then you're missing out on so much more than what God designed for you to experience one day. See, because sex is it's not just physical. And I just want to let you know tonight that the goal is not just virginity. The goal for you, God's goal for you, is not just virginity. Hear me out on this. The goal is purity. See, so often, like, we just want to know, where's the line? Where's the line? And then we get as close as we can. Am I, am I right on this? Like, we get as close as we can to the line. If this is the line and the goal is virginity, then we're like, okay, I'm just going to get, like, right here. And... Sometimes I'll kind of like, oh, kind of step over maybe. And I'm like, oh, I didn't cross it. Didn't cross it. I'm good. I'm good. And we just tiptoe the line. But come on. The goal is not just that you wouldn't have sex until you're married. It's so much more than that. The goal is purity. See, some of you, like, you could say, I've never had sex, but you're still living sexually impure lives. 
Like you're living in sexual immorality. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the goal is not virginity. The goal is purity. But here's the deal. You're not just going to stumble into purity. You're not just going to one day wake up and be like, I'm living a sexually pure life. See, in order to live in sexual purity, you have to create some parameters in your life, some parameters that are going to promote this. In fact, I want to close just with a, an illustration that I have. If you can go ahead and wheel that out from backstage for me, please, that'd be great. Um, thank you so much. There it comes. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks, man. How many of you guys know what, what this stuff is, is right here? Oh, this is heavy. Haven't worked out in a while. Um, anybody, you know what these are? Yeah, these are, these are fire logs. Um, I didn't know if we'd know ITP down here in the city. We, we don't do this stuff very much. But um, so yeah, these are logs. And I'm not going to pretend for like a second that I know how to build a fire because I don't. Like I never did Boy Scouts. I've never been camping for real. Like I, I don't know how to build a fire. I'm just going to be honest. Some of you are laughing. You don't know how to build a fire either. Um, <laughs> but like I try. Like when people come over to my house, like I'll, I'll get fire starter logs and bury it in there real good. I'll pour like a couple gallons of gasoline on there and it's like roaring and they're like, yo, bro, how'd you do this? I'm like, man, old school machete, you know, like just doing it. I, I don't know what that, I don't know. Um, but I would imagine that if I were to build a fire, like it'd be kind of something like this, you know, you kind of do this formation, which some of you can't see, but I'm trying to like do that TP thing. There's not enough really logs to do the TP thing, but that's all good. Um, they, they told me there was going to be 10 logs in there. I got, I got hosed, I don't know. Um, so, but like, that's, that's kind of how you would do it. And here's the thing, like, all of you have experienced a fire before, like, and you know that fire is, is a good thing, right? Like fire is something that can keep you warm. It's something that can provide light. It can literally cook food for you. Fire is something that can create some great moments. Like you sit around it with people at a bonfire and you roast s'mores on that fire. Like you've all experienced the fire. You know that fire can be a really good thing. But tonight, if I were to pull out some like matches and start a fire on here, some of you would start to panic, not because you're like, whoa, I've never seen fire. What is that? You'd start to panic because you'd be like, Matt, this is not the, the place for it. Like, you don't have the parameters to keep this fire controlled. Like, this is going to get out of control quickly and could cause some serious damage here at the living room. And you know what's interesting to me? As I thought more on that, this fire that can be used to roast s'mores on is the same fire that can burn down an entire forest. It's the same fire that can burn down your house. It's the same fire that can tear apart a community. You've seen it on the news before with some of these wildfires and things that happen. And when it comes to, to sex, sex is a really good thing. Sex was God's idea. Sex is, is amazing. It's not just a means of procreation. No, God says sex is, 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 is a way to, to solidify a covenant relationship of marriage. He's saying, I've designed this. But when you take sex and you don't put it within the right parameters, it can quickly spread and get out of control and cause a lot of chaos and danger in your life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So tonight as we close, I just want to challenge some of you. 
Regardless of where you're at, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian in the room tonight or what your viewpoints are when it comes to sex and your sexual ethics in your life, like, I just want to challenge some of you to think about what are your parameters when it comes to this area of your life? Like, do, do you have any parameters? Have you ever thought about that before? Because if you don't have parameters, I think you shouldn't be surprised when things get out of control. And so maybe tonight for you, you're like, you know, a parameter that I need to set is I just need to realize that I can't fight sin in the dark anymore. Like for too long, I've just been trying to fight this addiction or this struggle in the dark and I haven't brought anybody in. I haven't brought this into the light. And listen, hear me clearly, like everyone doesn't have to know everything, but someone does. Someone needs to know everything. Like you need at least one person in your life who knows the full 100%, who knows the real you, speaking to guys and girls. And maybe for some of you, that's the parameter that you need to set in your life tonight. Like you just need to talk to someone who's trusted and say, listen, I gotta tell you some real stuff that I'm struggling with because I gotta bring this in to the light because I'm telling you, you cannot fight sin in the dark. You're always going to lose. This is where the enemy wants to keep you. He wants to keep you in the dark and say, hey, you're good, you'll deal with, no, don't tell them, like, you can't trust them, keep it in the dark, keep fighting, you'll be fine, and you're not. For some of you, maybe the parameter that you need to set tonight is you need to invite God into the situation. Like, you're so ashamed of the way that you're living or the things that you've done or what's been done to you that you, like, are like, man, God feels the same way. But then you want God to come in, but you just want God to, like, break down the door and be like, I'm here, Navy SEAL SWAT team, I'm gonna make everything good. But God doesn't work like that. Like God is here, he's near. But God says, I I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And you have to let me in, you have to invite me to come into your situation. For some of you tonight, that's the parameter that you need to set. You just need to say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need your strength, I need your wisdom. I need you to bring people around me that can help. I want to invite you into the situation. The third parameter that maybe some of you need to set tonight, and this could be the most important one, honestly, is you need to remember that there's grace that restores and redeems. And gosh, this is so big. All week I've been thinking about this because I know that there's many of you in the room tonight that the second I brought up what we were talking about tonight, you want it to break down because you thought, great, I'm going to walk out of here tonight feeling terrible. I'm gonna walk out of here tonight feeling discouraged because I've messed up. Like I've really, really missed the mark in this area of my life. And you feel like at this point, there's no hope. There's no hope for the future. There's girls in the room that feel this way. There's guys in the room that feel this way. And tonight you need to know that there is grace that restores and redeems. There's a God that's looking you straight in the eyes tonight and he is saying, I love you. You are my son, you are my daughter. That's not true. Stop believing that. Stop reminding yourself of the things that you've done in your past or the things that were done to you. He says, I'm not looking at that. I don't look at you through a rear view mirror. I look at you through a redeemed lens. And he's saying, I have grace for you. There's enough grace for you, whatever you've done. And he's saying, you can bring it to me and realize that I am a God that extends grace, that restores and redeems your life and gives you hope for the future. And for some of you, that's the best parameter you could put into place tonight is just to remind yourself of that. 
And if you'd be willing to do that, if you'd be willing to put some parameters in your life, I'm telling you, you could start to see that, wow, like this area of my life, it's, it's not as quite as out of control as it once was. Like, I feel like I, I can manage this a little bit. This feels a lot better. And the last thing I'll say is this. It may feel like a sacrifice, like giving up something you want now for something better later might feel like a sacrifice, but it's really not a sacrifice, it's an investment. I'm just telling you, giving up something that you want now for something better later might feel like a sacrifice, but it's really not, it's an investment. And tonight, some of you need to make the investment of putting some parameters in your life when it comes to this area of your life, when it comes to sex, when it comes to your sexual ethic. And you need to do it for yourself. You need to do it for the future person that you're maybe gonna date or marry one day. You need to do it for your future family. You need to do it for the generations to come. Say, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this investment because it's a worthwhile one. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we tonight just say thank you that you are a God who extends grace to us and restores and redeems. I thank you that none of us are, are too far gone tonight. None of us have missed the mark so badly that you say, oh, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I'm not involved in that area of their life anymore. They've gone their own way. No, tonight you're chasing us down. Tonight you want to meet us right where we are. And for the person in the room that's doubting that, I pray that right now you just remind them that there's a reason they're here tonight. There's a lot of other places they could be. And so God, whatever fears we might be feeling whatever is holding us down or holding us back, Lord, I pray that you would just bring freedom into our lives tonight. I pray that you'd fill us up. I pray that you'd give us wisdom tonight to know what to do with what we just heard. And I pray that you'd give us the courage and the boldness and the bravery to do it and to take a step and to begin to set some parameters in this area of our life, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you that you conquered sin once and for all. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.